Good afternoon, good evening. This is Dove Tuzman and you're on equal footing. Tonight's show is entitled a little bit tongue-in-cheek, A Trip Worth Taking, The Burgeoning Field of Magic Mushrooms. Okay, before you tune out, because I was somewhat cynical about this topic of hallucinogenic mushrooms, psilocybin is really the technical term of the psychoactive compound that are found in these mushrooms. I, at the insistence of people I have a lot of respect for, have exposed myself, not experientially yet, well, that's not entirely true. In my early 20s, I had a brief experience of it, and maybe I'll get into that in this show. But I've exposed myself intellectually to this field of psychedelics, and particularly psychedelic-assisted Psychotherapy. We had a show on that a few weeks ago, and we promised on that show that we'd dive in with more substance into the specific psychedelics that are being used, how they're being used, how it works biologically, scientifically, and whether it's for you. Yes, this is a field that's actually coming to the masses. It's not the same as recreational use of Cannabis or other areas where you see social cultural acceptance of previously uh, banned substances. This is really being driven on the clinical and psychotherapeutic side. And it's obviously a field that's been explored. Well, maybe not obviously. Because okay? I got educated on this, so now I feel like it's obviously. But hallucinogenic plants have been around for at least thousands, if not tens of thousands of years. There's evidence in early Babylonian society and societies, civilizations in the Indus Valley, in uh, in South Asia, and even in early civilization in East Asia about the use of hallucinogenic uh, plants and healing and in spiritual ceremonies. Certainly in South and Central America, most people are aware of those types of ceremonies through not only magic mushrooms, but ayahuasca, and even in North America, native communities, there's a lot of that type of use. And in fact, there's, it's legalized in Native American communities in many senses here in the United States. Even in the Torah, in our sacred te- text, as an observant Jew, there is reference in various places and also Talmudic references to substances that we now know have hallucinogenic properties. So this has been around for a long time. If you want to get more contemporary and scientific, starting in the 1950s, there were serious studies within the government, the CIA. Someday we'll do a program on the uh, some of the CIA work that was done around hallucinogenics. It's been topic in popular culture and movies. And also in the scientific community, starting with a multi-decade uh, academic work done at the Johns Hopkins um, Medical Center. So there's there's real basis here, but where, where is this field today? What What's going on with magic mushrooms? How does it potentially affect our lives uh, today? Well, we're joined by someone who can help us understand 
this world of hallucinogenics, specifically as it relates today to mushrooms. That's David Drapkin. David is a licensed clinical social worker. He's a seasoned mental health and addiction practitioner with over 15 years of experience in frontline clinical, supervisory, managerial, and directorship roles in healthcare. He's a serious business person in the field, but he's also a fierce advocate for evidence-based, equitable, and accessible behavioral health services, and he's a thought leader in the field specifically of psychedelic medicine and therapy. David has articulated to me that he envisions a future where psychedelics plays a central role in redefining true wellness, a future where psychedelics empower individual and community transformation in a new era of societal evolution. David is the Director of Operations and Strategic Growth at Psychedelics Today. Check it out if you're interested in the field of legal psychedelics being used largely in therapeutic context at psychedelicstoday.com. David has a private therapy practice in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. He holds two social work master's degrees uh, from both the uh, University of New South Wales in Australia and the Leicester University, Leicester University in England. I hope I pronounced those titles correctly. And he's received intensive training at the William Allenson White Institute of Psychiatry, Psychoanalysis and Psychology in New York City. He's particularly passionate about this intersection between psychedelics and wellness, as I mentioned before, and also in Jewish spirituality. David and I share that in common. We're both observant in our Jewish practice and very interested in how that ties into psychedelics. Uh, as you'll hear from the accent in a minute, he was raised overseas in Birmingham, Birmingham, England. He's also lived in New Zealand, Australia, India, Southeast Asia, and Israel. And I really appreciate, David, you sharing this last bit because I think it really puts into context how you've chosen to uh, your professional journey and what you've chosen to do with your life. At the age of 21, David was electrocuted and had a near-death experience, and it fundamentally changed his life away from a path that he thought would be in the field of economics and investment banking towards, let's call it, non-ordinary states of consciousness, social work, and, uh, and wellness. David, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for talking about this with us. My pleasure, David. It's wonderful to be here. It's great to, uh, to have more time talking with you because we've had some nice chats lately on this subject. I'm looking forward to talking with you and to your listeners. Yeah, real pleasure to be here. I love how accessible you you made this for me. We met a few days ago at the Wonderland Microdose Wonderland Conference in Miami, which is on the, the application of psychedelics from a business perspective, psychotherapeutic perspective, medical perspective, investment perspective. And you're one of the few people I met who seem to be able to tie all these things together uh, in a really easy-to-understand way. So for our audience, first of all, what are magic mushrooms? Let's, and we could be talking about a lot of psychedelics, MDMA, uh, LSD, and, and, and others. But tonight we're talking about mushrooms, psilocybin, magic mushrooms. What are the terms? What do they mean? Which, which mushrooms are these? Yeah, you, you got it. So, you know, a good place to start is magic mushrooms being a very colloquial, kind of offhand, casual way of uh, understanding these mushroom fungi that have this psychedelic property that do, they do more than just taste good or good for our kind of physical body. They actually have psychoactive properties and, and the word psychedelic itself means mind manifesting. So it enables 
uh, a person's mind to experience um, non-ordinary states of consciousness, which which really could be a psychedelic experience. Or we we have similar things. Say, um, you know, if we're uh, you know sometimes lacking sleep or um, near death experiences, uh, or in meditation, we could have a non-ordinary state of consciousness. Um, uh, you know, for some people, it, these psychedelic experiences seem scary or sound scary. So definitely want to explore with everyone today. You know, do do a, an honest appraisal of risk factors, safety features, and cost benefit of all of these plants that have been used by humans for thousands of years, and you know, recently are, are just really coming to the fore. Um, so magic mushrooms have a, a a property that's known as psilocybin as you said, Dov, and within that there's this more of the, the, the functional um, element, which is psilocin, which gets broken down in the body. And there's a number of different types of mushrooms so that have... Let, let, me, let me pause there for it. a second. So for yeah. let's a quick primer. So these magic mushrooms or hallucinogenic mushrooms, are they grown all over the world? Where are they found natively? Where are they grown? Or where do they grow? I should say they're not domesticated. They... Yeah, so as far as I know, pretty much every continent apart from Antarctica, where they have been found and they have been used. So, you know, I grew up in England, and I was always aware of them you know, growing in England. They, the tip to, in England, they have, they have much smaller ones, um, very thin, called Liberty Caps. Whereas in America, there's, there's quite a famous person called Paul Stamets, who lives in Oregon, the Pacific Northwest. And that is, uh, I believe, one of the most richly diverse parts of the world for psychedelic mushrooms. There's dozens, if not hundreds, of different types uh, of magic mushrooms in that Pacific Northwest. So and then obviously going down to South America, just so many different types, particularly in Mexico uh, and you know, uh, the actual South of America going down there. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're really everywhere. So... In psychedelics, psilocybin, the psychoactive compound in, in hallucinogenic mushrooms, is one of a number of chemical compounds that are being explored clinically. Uh, and, correct? And, and ketamine, MDMA, LSD, some of these others we're not going to really have a chance to talk about here tonight. Those are synthetic compounds. Now everything, you know, ultimately comes from, from Mother Nature, but the difference here, I think, that like like cannabis, psilocybin, the compound that's that's found in in these hallucinogenic mushrooms, is naturally occurring. Is that is that correct, David? Yeah. So there, there are some psychedelics which have been manufactured, like LSD or MDMA. And there's famous stories about Albert Hoffman riding his bicycle that the chemist in the fifties on the first LSD trip, and then MDMA, which you know came to before really, I think in the 70s, uh, 60s, and 70s, and ketamine is now being used as a chemical. It's being used for pain, for uh, anesthetists, as well as for for depression as well. Um, but there are the natural um, the psychedelics, and, and um, psilocybin is what's called a tryptamine, um, based on it really targeting the, the serotonin and the 5-HT2A uh, receptor of the brain. We can come back to that later. Um, so magic mushrooms, psilocybin as we'll call them, um, are a type of tryptamine. And, yeah, they, they grow in the ground, and like all mushrooms, they kind of are hidden underground. And they've got this network of very, very dense and, and complex root structures 
kind of like a brain, to be honest, called uh, mycelium. Um, and, yeah, the mycelium can grow for literally miles underground. Okay. And mycelium, dead mushrooms will just pop up. So we're going to take our first break in a minute, but let me give the, the phone number out to participate either live or by texting in your comments or questions. We're talking about magic mushrooms. We're talking about hallucinogenic mushrooms are naturally occurring. They're, they're found all over the world. And increasingly, they're being accepted in the psychotherapeutic community. Uh, they've been studied by the National Institutes of Health. There are a lot of clinical studies around their application um, to depressive disorders, to anxiety, uh, and to uh, terminal illness. We're going to get to that in our, our next segment. This is no longer fringe stuff, guys. This is quickly becoming part of the mainstream. You're going to see more and more of this. You may even know someone, maybe even yourself, or you know someone that's been uh, prescribed some form of psychedelic-assisted uh, psychotherapy. Ketamine clinics that David just mentioned, they're, they're all over the country now. Uh, these are controlled substances, but they are increasingly being used in accepted therapeutic modalities. Talk about your experience with magic mushrooms, your questions. This is the opportunity. No stupid questions. I have been immersing myself in this stuff, and I've had a lot of myths already broken over the last several weeks of uh, studying this field. The number is 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. As always, you don't have to say your name. You can call in and... And speak anonymously, or if you feel shy about hearing your, your voice in the radio, you can text or WhatsApp a question or comment to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. There we have our first caller on the board, and we'll be right back on Equal Footing with David Drapkin. So Equal Footing is graciously supported by a wonderful organization that is also interested in general wellness, provides an easy-to-access tool to help you manage your medical records, and that's DocuVax. You've heard me talk about DocuVax before. You can find it at DocuVax.com. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com. Or you can download the DocuVax app on your Apple or Android uh, App Store. DocuVax is an easy-to-use medical virtual locker. It allows you to put into a virtual HIPAA-compliant safe space accessible on your smartphone or on your laptop all of your medical records, your immunization, your vaccine records, serology, blood test results, other lab results, even x-rays and MRIs. Your medical records do not belong to your doctor. They don't belong to your insurance company. They sure as hell don't belong to the government. Your medical records are yours. Now, you may choose to share them, and often you need to share them with new healthcare provider, new insurance provider, a school, whatever it may be that's requiring a certain vaccination, or you want to get a follow-up uh, to a, a follow-up exam to a checkup or whatever. But a lot of people have these medical records scattered in a bunch of different places and waste money often having to get unnecessary uh, doctor's visits in between to get to specialists. So download DocuVax on your smartphone or go to DocuVax.com. For as little as $6.99 per month, as a subscriber, you can privately access all of your medical records and 
you have medical professionals, that's doctors or nurses, on call for you 24 hours a day to validate those vaccine records, blood tests, or anything else in your locker. This is a very inexpensive way to do your own health management. You know, someone asked me about DocuVax the other day and it, about how, how it's important. Like, why should I have that? And, and I said, would you have a pet? Because if you have a dog, you know, you get these reminders from the vet to get their, you know, to get a checkup or to get a new shot and immunization. But, you know, as a human being, I don't get those reminders. <laughs> it's like my, I have various doctors and specialists for different things I've seen over my, my lifetime. And no one doctor feels like they have that responsibility, nor do they legally have any accountability to do that. So organize this data. You get automatic reminders on when you need to go get uh, a, pr- a preventative screening, like a colorectal exam or a breast cancer screening. And you get reminders on, on uh, blood tests, general checkups, uh, vaccines, etc. So go to DocuVax.com or download DocuVax on your smartphone app store. And if you're interested in a group discount, if you're a small, medium-sized business owner and you want to sponsor this general wellness tool for your employees, and they won't, you won't have access to their data, but it, it's an easy way to give your employees a, a good wellness tool. It's inexpensive. You can get group discounts. If you mention that you heard about it on equal footing, and you call 833-859-1933. That's for group discounts for DocuVax, 833-859-1933. Operators are standing by. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on been All right, you're back on equal footing. Oh, I'm out of breath with that DocuVax uh, uh, sponsorship. <laughs> I'm grateful to, 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 to the organization, but okay. David, we are talking, David Drapkin, licensed clinical social worker, director of operations and strategic growth at Psychedelics Today. We're talking about magic mushrooms, the psychoactive component of psilocybin. So David, what is psilocybin, the chemical compound in hallucinogenic mushrooms, helpful for therapeutically? We don't know. It is one answer to that question, and, and the sad reason is because for 50 years, um, the research was made to stop, really for political reasons, what's called the war on drugs, but uh, 60s and 70s, there's some phenomenal research, especially with LSD and, and alcohol use disorder, um, but also um, ketamine and psilocybin, that was shut down. So we're kind of only just catching up now, really, the last five years, there's been an, an incredible increase in research, clinical trials, patents, and intellectual property around um, psychedelic compounds and trials. But from what we do know, the number one indication for psilocybin is depression. So there's two really um, significant clinical trials right now going through the FDA process um, to get um, you know, medicalized. And, and one is um, by Compass Pathways, and that's for a synthesized psilocybin, so that's going to be a crystallized um, kind of powder, um, whereas the USONA trial is actually going to be uh, a real natural um, psilocybin in their uh, tablet form. So but depression is definitely the, the number one indication. Yeah. But the, there's many others. Sorry, just to, you know, the NIH, National Institutes of Health in the United States, has a pretty broad library on psilocybin-assisted therapy as it pertains to depression, depressive disorder. Uh, I've also uh, read studies with respect to uh, its, its effect potentially on anxiety. Um, there's been a lot of studies, I understand it, with respect to um, end-of-life uh, mental health challenges when people in, in, in terminal care. But I want to 
get into the weeds with you for a second, David, and how it actually works. Uh, I, I understand that when you're when you're on a, I hope it's okay to use a colloquial term of a trip. Um, talk to us what happens about when there's a a, a patient that is going through a psychedelic assisted psychotherapy process using psilocybin. What actually happens in the therapy room and what's happening in that person's brain? Sure. Um, I'll need a little bit of time to explain this, but that's fine because it, it, it does differ depending on setting setting, and I'll, I'll explain that as well. Just to take a step back, so when we were talking just now, what, what indications, what conditions can psilocybin help with? So right now the science is kind of catching up because of the war on drugs. Anecdotally, we, we do know from you know, tracking people's experiences over the last 50 years in the West that it, it does help with, like you were saying, kind of end-of-life anxiety, um, addiction. Um, people that have you know, cancer can help with that kind of pain and nausea, headaches, central nervous systems, eating disorders. And particularly another really interesting thing that I think we'll see a lot more of is TBI, traumatic brain industry, mm-hmm. uh, injury, and PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and then the term I wanted to mention to everyone with particularly psilocybin and perhaps even more than the other psychedelic compounds, it's got this trans-diagnostic and trans-therapeutic benefit. And that simply means it, it's, not, it's good for many different things all at once. So it might be you've got someone that doesn't perhaps have uh, a clinical depression, but they've got other experiences in their lifetime that have affected them or other challenges that they have on a kind of mental behavioral level or addiction. Uh, and so having a psilocybin journey or trip can help um, to really dig deeper and to go into that. And so, so if someone's really listening the and way, they're in therapy, David, yeah. can they ask, they say, you know, that I heard about magic mushrooms and, and its therapeutic effect on depression or PTSD or anxiety or, or pain management. Can they literally ask their therapist to explore prescribing them uh, psilocybin-assisted therapy? Can you can you do that as a patient? Not yet. No, that's the, that's the straight answer. So there is a, a caveat in some parts of America, um, but federally, um, psilocybin is a Schedule One drug, which means it, you know, in theory, it's supposed to have no uh, medical benefits and very addictive. And all the research shows both of those are false, um, but it's still is scheduled as a, a, a Schedule One drug. So it's federally illegal, other than if you're in a clinical trial, like it's been an FDA-approved, um, you know, IRB-approved trial, and then you, know, you could be a participant in the trial. So someone listening um, who is not going overseas to Costa Rica or Jamaica or Mexico, which are places where there are a lot of psilocybin, you know, therapeutic retreats, uh, it might now be wanting to tune out. Say, oh, you know, okay, so it's illegal. That's that's not something that I'm ever going to venture into. But take us back a few years. I mean, ketamine has exploded as a therapeutic modality, and it wasn't so long ago that it was also a scheduled drug, correct? Correct, yeah. So that, that was re, that's been you know, reclassified. I think it's a Schedule three drug now, um, but yeah. What would just, pardon these, what might be sound like dumb questions, but is what is another type of Schedule three drug? Like is Xanax or uh, sleep, sleep aid drugs that are prescribed by your psychiatrist, are those also Schedule three for the uneducated? Um, let's have a think what, what else it would be. It'd probably be, um, yeah, some drugs that, uh, you know, you need a prescription for, um, but they are, you know, they're, they're relatively easy to get hold of. I don't, can't think of any 
off the top of my head. Things like coding, I think, right. uh, might be there for Boxone as well, which is used for opioids. So they're legal uh, but regulated. Yeah. Yeah, that's Schedule Three. And if you had to, if you had a crystal, you obviously don't have a crystal ball, but if you had to guess when psilocybin, again the psychoactive compound in in magic mushrooms or hallucinogenic mushrooms, might, based on where we are in the clinical trials with the FDA and where the studies are going, if you had to estimate, is this something that you think would be scheduled as legal but regulated in two years, five years, ten years? Like how far out are we before we start seeing psilocybin applications in clinics in New Jersey, like we see with ketamine? We are pretty close. So the, the earliest study that, that's going to hit the FDA and get rescheduled is for MDMA, and that's by a company called MAPS. That'll be 2023, mm-hmm. predicting. And, MDMA, and the next year for 2024, it will be psilocybin. MDMA, in colloquially, is that molly or ecstasy? Uh-huh, yeah, so molly or, or ecstasy, yeah. That's MDMA. So that should be reclassified by the FDA for PTSD as an indication in 2023. And then 2024, you know, we, we very strongly expect um, psilocybin to be rescheduled in a, within a medical model. So it, it's very unlikely that come 2024, you know, anyone's going to be able to go to the you know, kind of CVS pharmacy and, and pick up psilocybin. The, the model that it's going to be used is probably needing one or probably two therapists in a room in a medical licensed facility, someone's gone through a screening process, being assessed by a doctor, has gone through an intake process with a therapist, has been approved medically and psychiatrically to go forward with psilocybin, they're probably then going to have a couple of therapy sessions just to say, why do you want this? What do you need to get from it? What are some issues sure. you really need help with? Just like and you would if you wanted to, to be... Dosing session. It, that'd be the same if you wanted to be prescribed Xanax. Uh, you'd, you'd need to go through a therapy session or, or two and and make sure that it's that it's right for you. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't want a doctor to be prescription happy and just kind of write things off without doing a thorough assessment. And I always want my clients to have tried everything they can um, on a kind of cognitive, behavioral, skills-based, insight, mindfulness-based level before they then um, use medications for anxiety right. or depression because... You know, they are addictive and they're hard to come off. And it also means sometimes patients don't develop the skills and the insight and the resilience um, because they, they're relying on these medications. So it's always good to do a thorough assessment. But with psilocybin, usually, um, you know, someone's gone through depression for a long time and they've gone through different antidepressants. Um, so this trial with um, Compass Pathways is actually for treatment-resistant major depressive disorder, which means um, people that have, have tried at least two different antidepressants and they didn't work. And I think that's around about 30% of people with uh, major depressive disorder have tried at least two antidepressants without effect. I was amazed, so, um, David. Yeah, a huge amount of people. Yeah, how how prevalent it is. I didn't mean to cut you off there. A few weeks ago, we did the show on psychedelic-assisted uh, psychotherapy in general, and the the response that we got of people sharing their experiences with it um, was uh, was much higher than I would have expected. Um, now, obviously, people are doing ketamine uh, therapy, which is being used already for PTSD and and other um, mental health conditions uh, in various parts of the country, but all these other uh, compounds like MDMA and, and psilocybin are still not federally allowed unless you're in a, in a trial. So 
all these people that I'm hearing from that are that are doing this, they're they're doing it overseas, correct? So yeah, let's clarify that. Federally, psilocybin, like MDMA, is scheduled once illegally. We're not allowed to use it. We're not allowed to give it to someone. Um, we're not allowed to grow it. Um, there is a, a law that I'm not 100% on, so definitely don't try this at home, but around the spores themselves. My understanding loosely is that the spores are not illegal to own the spores, which is basically the, the mushroom's equivalent of the seed. But if you kind of um, germinate the spore and attempt to grow it, that process from that point on then becomes illegal. And there is one other caveat to say um, that there are some towns and states uh, in America that have done this thing called decriminalizing drugs. Right. doesn't mean necessarily they're legalized, but they're decriminalized. So if someone does have mushrooms in their pocket, or if they are using them therapeutically or recreationally, the police in that town or state have been told to make it the lowest priority, not to hassle people and not to, to give them a somewhat criminal record for that. And interestingly, Detroit, Detroit, Michigan, last week, they actually passed a vote um, to decriminalize psychedelic plants and, and compounds. And that's the biggest city in America so far to decriminalize. And I think the state of um, Oregon has an initiative to uh, decriminalize psilocybin as well, if I'm not mistaken. There's actually a, fan, a fascinating um, yeah, kind of experiment happening in Oregon right now. So about halfway through the process, um, it all started when there was a referendum and, and the, the locals of Oregon voted yes to uh, introducing a psilocybin um, kind of organization and service in their state for people that wanted to take psilocybin legally with um, someone else in the room in the, what they're going to call, I believe, a psilocybin service center. So they're not saying it's a clinic and you don't necessarily need to be a doctor or a therapist to, to work in these centers to be with people while they have a psilocybin experience. Um, but they realized that they, you know, they wanted to be the first state and not wait for the FDA to do this. And they want to make sure that in a sense, in Oregon, you're not tied to just taking this compass pathways synthesized pill, which will probably be very expensive and have to go through all the FDA um, requirements of, say, having two therapists in a room, which is also very expensive and it's sure. not going to be uh, e you know, easy for a lot of people to afford that. So after our next break, I want to get into that a little bit, the accessibility uh, issue, and also bring it down to earth in terms of the actual experience. Uh, I'm here with David Drapkin, who's a licensed clinical social worker. He's also a director of operations and strategic growth at Psychedelics Today. We recently met at the Microdose Wonderland conference in Miami on uh, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapies. This is coming, guys. Like, if you are in therapy or you know someone who's in talk therapy, chances are over the next couple of years you're going to be looking at alternatives to many of the drugs that are out there prescribed. These have the psilocybin, uh, MDMA, uh, and, and other, some naturally occurring and some synthetic comp compounds have been known for decades to help with depressive disorders, PTSD, anxiety, etc. And we're finally getting around to the destigmatization phase uh, as we just talked about, Oregon passed a law in 2019, uh, District of Columbia just last year. It is it is coming. Participate in the discussion. We already have some interesting texts, which we'll get to in the next segment. You can call in at 718-303-9090, 718-303-9090. Share your stories around magic mushrooms or your questions, concerns, 
doubts, or text a question or comment to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman, and I'm joined with uh, I'm joined by my friend and guest David Drapkin, who is Director of Operations and Strategic Growth at Psychedelics Today. We're talking about hallucinogenic mushrooms. We're talking about their therapeutic application. This is no longer on the fringe. It at psilocybin, the compound in hallucinogenic mushrooms, is being used in various clinical studies to treat successfully depressive disorders, PTSD, anxiety, internal care situations, pain management, etc. David, I teased at the outset of the show that I was going to admit, I hope there's a statute of limitations on this type of thing. must be, and it was overseas, but my only experience with hallucinogenic uh, mushrooms was in my very early 20s. I was in Jamaica visiting a friend with a couple of other friends, and we went to a beautiful uh, park, a, a waterfall preserve, and laid down in a stream. This is my recollection. I'm talking 30 years ago, so I may be getting it a little bit wrong. And uh, we did, I don't know if it was a microdose. It certainly wasn't a big dose of, uh, of hallucinogenics, and, uh, hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic mushrooms in particular. And I, I remember, uh, you know, often people are kind of like a, the, the, a vivid, almost like waking dream-like state, even though I was lying in a very small stream bed where the water was barely maybe a couple of inches up on my body. I felt like I was in a roaring river, and I remember all these discoveries in the river. But I didn't have a guide. I, I wasn't doing it in a psychotherapeutic setting. I don't know what kind of long-term effects it had. I don't know if it was positive or negative. Can you make it very basic for listeners, like, how does it work therapeutically? Like, what, what was my experience? Is my experience at all analogous to a therapeutic application of psilocybin? Like, what would a patient of yours now, if they went to a facility that does this type of stuff in Jamaica? I know there's some in that particular place. What, what, what would happen, and what would the guide or therapist be doing? Yeah, let's get into this. So, you in a beautiful, relaxing place with people you're really close to, um, surrounded by nature feeling comfortable and relaxed. So that is the perfect condition for uh, having psychedelics. The opposite would be, say, you're in a very busy place with 
weird, you know, loud noises, people you don't know. Something you don't feel safe or comfortable in. Maybe it's really cold and, you know, you're just not relaxed and calm. So that is not a good situation to take psychedelics. It's unpredictable. It's just un, unfamiliar and, and, and destabilizing. And so what I could do is give someone a bad trip. And what does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean something bad will happen. It just might not be pleasurable, or it may not be so easy to deal with it. It doesn't mean it's not going to be ultimately helpful, because there is research actually that shows the more difficult the trip, the more challenging to deal with and process it, the more um, beneficial long-term outcomes there actually are, which is very interesting. But how, how long does a trip? How long does it last with good people? Oh, the experience usually lasts around six hours um, from ingesting it till the end, till, till kind of when you feel you're back to normal again. And what is there someone in a therapeutic context, is someone sitting next to you during the trip, like almost like guiding as if you were in, uh, in a, um, if you were in a trance or what's the word I'm looking for, if you were being hypnotized, is someone asking you questions while you're on the trip or just sitting there making sure you're safe? What does a therapist do? So, yeah, there's different ways of doing it. Here in, in the West, most people will go and kind of lie down on the floor, on a sofa, on a bed, put on eye goggles or, you know, towel over their eyes just so they can really go inwards um, and they'll be still and there'll probably be music there. And it is good to do it with somebody else that you, you feel safe with. It could be a therapist, a family member, a loved one, a friend, um, so that you just know if you need help, they're there. Or if you need help getting to the toilet, the restroom, they're there for you. Or if you want the music turned up or down or changed, or if you need a blanket because you're cold. Having that person there just means you don't have to do it yourself. And if, if someone stays, starts to get paranoid or starts to feel like they're not physically doing so well, then they can get reassurance from their, their friend there. So in my brain when I'm on this, this trip, uh, my understanding is that there's, and I want to get too wonky, but I do think it's important for listeners to hear a little bit about the science, that my ability to regenerate or to generate neurons and neural pathways, it's often referred to as like neuroplasticity, is increasing. And that's like an intrinsically good thing. I know you probably have a grimace in your face because that's a layman trying to speak scientific language, but did I get that generally right? Yeah, 100%. I... It, there's so much to, to know about the brain that probably you and I don't, but the neuroplasticity and the neurogeneration where you know, the dendrites, the kind of synapses within our brain, the, the psilocybin is basically fertilizer. It helps it regrow, whereas perhaps the, the neurons and the dendrites got diminished before. They actually strengthen their roots and they increase the width of each dendrite at a microscopic level. So it does the opposite of what depression does, which is to kind of you know, shrink down and, right. and reduce the interconnections. So my understanding, and again, we don't have time to you know get the have you drop all your clinical knowledge on us, but my understanding is neuroplasticity is like an intrinsically good thing. And in fact, often in talk therapy, you're trying to uh, also engender neuroplasticity or regeneration of neurons in the brain. And based on what I understand, other things do this too, like yoga, meditation, sometimes talk therapy, certain types of intellectual challenges, even musical composition and exposure and art, listening to music even, uh, poetry, sex, etc. But psilocybin is almost like a, like a, 
like rocket fuel. Like it's, it's more neuroplasticity than you get from all those things in a more concentrated period of time. And do I have that generally right? Yeah, so, so there's definitely a lot of other things that help the, the brain to regrow, to kind of, um, yeah, reintegrate parts of it that get in a funk. But psilocybin really helps, um, you know, they, from looking at the studies on mice, you know, they've, they've kind of dissected the brain and they can you know, literally see that the additional growth in group one compared to group two of the brain cells. So it, it's, it's very helpful. Exercise is also fantastic. Um, and, you know, antidepressants, so things like Lexapro and, um, you know, Prozac, they, they, they're about neurogenesis and neuroplasticity, trying to get the brain to, to work again. But they typically take three to three months, say, whereas the research shows it was psilocybin. It, it kind of instant. It really, you only need a couple of sessions and, uh, say, in a week or two, but the data shows the brain is already starting um, to change and the person starts to feel better based on their depression scale. So it's much quicker than... Okay, so tip Prozac, for example, uh, uh, antidepressant that's been around for for decades, I think since the 1970s, if I'm not mistaken, that's also increasing neuroplasticity or attempting to, but it's slower than psilocybin from magic mushrooms? Yeah, it seems to be that there's this word bioavailability, which which basically just means how much of a, a compound a medication is absorbed by the body and how much is kind of flushed out you know, when you go to the toilet. So antidepressants, most of the, the chemical components of that is just flushed out of our body. Our brain doesn't soak up much of it. So it takes a lot longer for that pill to do its thing. And other parts of the body can actually be harmed by that Prozac or Lexapro that gets flushed out through the liver and the kidneys. And whereas with psilocybin, there are no uh, kind of real physical side effects. There's no harm of toxicity. You can't overdose from it. You can't get addicted to it. So really the risk profile of uh, psilocybin is, is much better. And the, you know, there was a study by Robin Carhart-Harris at Imperial College in London comparing psilocybin to Lexapro. And, you know, it showed that after three months, it was actually a little bit better on the primary incomes and a lot better on the secondary incomes. And that's the largest study that's ever been compared, comparing magic mushrooms to an antidepressant. So I want to get to one or two questions here before our, our last break. Uh, one one listener has written in referring to this issue that we teased at before the, before our last ad break on accessibility, and uh, in, in you know summarizing the the comment that this this is these are very expensive um, retreats uh, in their experience and, and in the thousands of dollars if you want to do this today if you want to have a therapeutically guided uh, psilocybin or uh, hallucinogenic mushroom experience for that is helps you treat from pain management to depression to PTSD anxiety. Right now, you got to go overseas and it costs you thousands of dollars. Forget about the even the 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 cost to get there and where to where to stay. Which I'm going to paraphrase this, but makes it kind of an elite, uh, you know, opportunity or or or, or therapeutic uh, avenue. Is that is that right? Does this listener have it have it right? And is there any way to offset that cost of insurance today? Or is it is it is it, how do we get to this to be more accessible? Yeah, that's exactly why Oregon's done what it has because it, it wants it to be accessible, and so you don't have to have even a diagnosis of major depressive disorder. Um, you know, anyone can, in, in theory, in Oregon, 
can have um, psilocybin without needing a diagnosis. Um, whereas, you know, what, what we're going to see in a couple of years, you do need a diagnosis and to fail medications first. Uh, and there is the, the non-legal option as well, Doc. So a lot of people have been using psilocybin synthesis in the 70s without stopping, even though it is illegal. And, and it's been used for thousands of years, regardless of whether it's legal or not. It's been part of people's cultures. So it's only really been 50 years that it hasn't been legal. You know, the vast majority of human experience, these have been used safely, responsibly as part of a, you know, of a culture. So they're, they're available right now in pretty much every town in America. There are people guiding. They're called you know, guides or trip sitters or healers. Um, you know, some people might say they're more of a shaman or shaman. Um, but, yeah, there are, there are retreat centers definitely in Jamaica. There's a lot, Costa Rica and Mexico, but they are expensive. Um, but there are, you know, people that want to access this, they can, they can find it. Unfortunately, it's hard to find online uh, because they are illegal. It's, it's um, but, you know, they're... Yeah, there are there are ways out there if, if people feel like they really are in need of help and the medication system not helping. Yeah, to your last point, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of these Schedule One drugs that we think about as anathema to kind of modern, modern social organization were only criminalized in the 40s and 50s in most cases. Uh, so as you know, there's been use of this in in traditional and contemporary you know social setups for for a long time. Before we go to the break. Uh, uh, there was a question about uh, Moses and the burning bush. I, I expect there's a, a little bit of tongue-in-cheek in this question, um, but asking whether Moses was tripping uh, when you know when he he saw the burning bush. I have heard this question before, and I think I've even I've even seen this as as titles of 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 uh, of, of journalistic uh, you know of of experimentation out there in the journalistic world, the spiritual world. Do you have anything to say on that as an observant Jew, David? Was Moses tripping when he saw the burning bush? What was the burning bush? Was that a, a hallucinogenic? Yeah, person? I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of crossover between a psychedelic experience and prophecy, kind of, in the um, And when a person is having a psychedelic experience, they kind of leave their body and, and they can hear voices of Hashem. They can, um, you know, go back in time to their birth experience or to past life. So it's definitely an out of body experience, as though we are kind of communing with a you know a higher power. Uh, the burning bush people believe was an acacia tree, which does have some kind of psychoactive alkaloids. Um, and when you think about it, you know, there are other plants. I was just interviewing the CEO of another drug company making and he's making this kind of L S D um, compound out of a magnolia tree bark and there's a lot of cacti that are psychedelic as well. So one thing we do know from an archaeological uh, chemist study is that there was cannabis being used on the Mizdech in um, some parts of Israel. They, you know, thousands of years old, they, they kind of studied the sample that was there. So it's likely that some of the incense that the Jewish people were using had cannabis or other psychoactive um, plants in it. Yeah, and 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 in even as as recently as fifties and sixties, folks like Ram Das, who was born Richard Alpert, and Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi, and so forth, were leaders in in exposing the therapeutic and spiritual properties of uh, psychedelics, and particularly hallucinogenic mushrooms. So interesting tie-in. We're going to take our last break, and we're going to come back with David Drapkin, licensed clinical social worker and director of operations and strategic growth at Psychedelics Today. We're talking about magic mushrooms. We'll be right back. Turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream. 
Manhattan Medical, been a great sponsor for Equal Footing for some time now. Manhattan Medical helps you approach one of the most emotionally painful topics you can have as a couple issues. That's erectile dysfunction, makes it unable to have enjoyable sex in many contexts. And Manhattan Medical utilizes a different, new, and effective therapy, therapy for erectile dysfunction. It can help achieve excellent results without expensive blue pills that often have side effects. Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave therapy for erectile dysfunction is non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It's painless. There are no side effects. And for the vast majority of patients, wonderful results. You don't have to be in the New York area or certainly not Manhattan to avail yourself of the Gaines Wave erectile dysfunction therapy from Manhattan Medical. You can do a telephonic consult from anywhere in the United States. Call 888 888- EDQR9, that's 888-EDQR9, or 888-332-8739 numerically. Again, 888-332-8739. Call Manhattan Medical. Over 50% of men at some point in their life face the issue of erectile dysfunction. Uh, it's, uh, it's endemic. There is, there are things you can do about it beyond those expensive blue pills, and many people cannot take those because of contraindications. So try the Gaines Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction from Manhattan Medical. Call 888-332-8739, and if you mention that you heard it on equal foot, heard about it on equal footing, you get your first consult free. That's a $250 value. Again, Manhattan Medical Erectile Dysfunction, Gaines Wave Therapy, 888-332-8739. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on I've been told Back on Equal Footing, I'm Dove Tusman with David Drapkin, and we're talking about the therapeutic effects of psilocybin, the psychoactive compound in magic mushrooms. David, there are other mushrooms out there, and the names <laughs> I heard about one the other day that's that is the one from Alice in Wonderland that it's like I think it's red with white dots or if I'm not mistaken, and apparently... The yeah, I think it's Amanita Mascara, I think that's called. I'm not even going to try to repeat that. Maybe you can. <laughs> Amanita, Amanita Mascara. Okay. Fly Agaric, it's also known as. Amanita Mascara Mushroom, that's kind of in popular culture through Alice in Wonderland and other places. Is that also hallucinogenic, or is that toxic? Why, why does that not make its way into this discussion when we talk about magic mushrooms? Um... I don't know if it is hallucinogenic, to be honest. Um, I, I, I think it might um, have some hallucinogenic properties, but it might also be more kind of toxic for the body to, to process it. So, yeah, I don't think that's used so much. There's, there are other types, and you know, one of the, the most common is called a cubensis, and there are you know, hundreds of strains of that, and you can um, uh, change those strains. Uh, and another one is actually called Venus Envy. Um, it's strange to say that's another another very common um, species. Of Venus that, like, envy. Mushroom. No, penis like the male genitals. Penis envy. Penis envy. And that's the name of the mushroom. Yeah. Okay. And it is. Yeah, because there is a resemblance between you know, the, the, that, that male penis and a mushroom. So that's the colloquial name. Are, are these also Schedule One drugs? Or are these uh, available for general consumption? 
Yeah, that that's a funny thing, isn't it? That any mushroom that grows in the ground, it, it is illegal <laughs> to pick it. Um, if it's not psychedelic, then you can pick it and eat it. Uh, but if it is psychedelic, you pick it and take it home or uh, you know, have it in your plum, then that's a drug and therefore you're breaking the law. So you do have to be careful picking mushrooms and obviously you want to know if they're safe or not. Um, so you need to be a bit of an expert or have someone to, to help you with that. Yeah, both in terms of the effect and in terms of whether you're breaking the law. So, yeah, and it's hard to know how much to take. A lot of people just take way too much and, and they're, it's, they're not kind of ready for that experience or they're not in the right place to kind of go through that deep process if they do take a very strong amount. Okay. If someone's listening, I want to make sure we get this in before before the end of the hour, and they want to explore more about hallucinogenic mushrooms and how psilocybin, the psychoactive compound, could help them with depression, anxiety, PTSD, pain management, all the things that have been now largely proven in clinical studies, and, and this stuff is going to probably be legalized in the next several years federally. It's already legal in, in different state and municipal jurisdictions. But if someone wants to explore now, where should they go? Where should they start their exploration journey before they're maybe going on a mushroom trip? Yeah, good question. So our site, Psychedelics Today, is, has a lot of articles and information there. We've also got a podcast that sometimes you'll hear me on, on that if you like my voice. So um, you can check out our podcasts and our blog articles. There's a, a harm reduction website, website called Erowid, and that is spelled E-R-O-W-I-D dot org. So Erowid has a lot of safety information about um, you know, if you're going to use these compounds, psychedelics, how to do it in a safe way. Um, you know, you might want to look at MAPS, um, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. Yeah, that's got a lot of MAPS, a great resource. And, of course, Psychedelics Today, which which you work for. Yeah, so you can check out our website. Um, you, know, the, the, you know, Some people want to invest in psychedelics, too. So there's a, a website called Psilocybin Alpha that's you know, a, a good one for that. There's another um, company called Double Blind, as in Double Blind Trials. They've got a lot of videos and trainings, information in their articles. Um, but yeah, if you just Google it, you'll find stuff, but you'll find a lot of kind of junky stuff too. So I would try and stick to reputable organizations. Yeah, David Drapkin's organization, Psychedelics Today, is a reputable organization. MAPS, as, as David mentioned as well, Arrowhead. We'll put this in the show notes. Again, this is this is going from the fringe to mainstream. Let's take caller on line five who's been very patient. Uh, line five, you're on the air. Okay, I haven't been patient. I just called. Oh, good. <laughs> you called back. I, I, I knew I was... No, no, uh, I, I didn't call before. I'm just calling now for the first time. Great. How are how you doing? Good. Good evening. Uh, what about terminal patients? People who are in a terminal situation. How does this apply to that, and has it been used in that regard? In any form. David, my understanding, thanks for the question, is that actually that's almost where, that's the the head of the spear, right, on the clinical research. That's where it's been most effective so far, or do I have that wrong? Yeah, there's been a few studies that have looked at end-of-life anxiety, kind of terminal illness, and then secondly, that have also looked at people that have cancer. Um, and the anxiety that comes w- with that. And so psilocybin has profound help at dealing with, you know, the fact that they could die or they, they are going to die because they have a fatal diagnosis. Helps come to terms with life, with the way that it has been, and, and to be grateful for what has happened and to be able to accept 
whatever does um, does happen with with life and death. Uh, does it help at all in, in does does it help at all in pain relation or just uh, gives gives a calmness or something like that? It, it does help with pain, yeah. Um, but I think even more with psilocybin compared to say ketamine, which is more for pain, it just helps with that psychological, emotional, and spiritual. You know, challenges that, that that comes up with that, and there's actually a film called The Fantastic Fungi. It's on Netflix. Oh, that's um, great. It's really accessible. And, and I recommend everyone. And they interview a couple great. of people there with with cancer that, that are going through end of life anxiety, taking mushrooms in a in a clinical trial, and it changes their life. They they, they live, and they have a whole new philosophy of life after that experience. So I definitely would watch that. And David, I recommend that as well. David, my understanding, I don't want to promote this too, too much. I just want to make sure I have this right. The, the neuroplasticity, the, the neuro, neurogenesis, the, the neuroplasticity that's, that's generated with the psilocybin treatment is a longer term, like, it, it, it stick with people sometimes for weeks or months. You don't have to like constantly take a, a drug every day as you often have to do with, you know, traditional psychiatric uh, prescriptions. Yeah, so the, the trials, you know, they're provisional, but they, they do seem to say that that neuroplastic window stays open or, you know, the depression stays low or doesn't exist for perhaps a couple of months and then someone might need a booster of mushrooms or, or ketamine, whereas there's not that daily medications being taken and that kind of toxic effect of the medications. But some people that maybe have more trauma, not just depression, but trauma as well, they might just need a couple of psilocybin sessions and that actually can resolve that trauma so the depression doesn't come back and the PTSD doesn't come back because trauma's been healed at the source, which, you know, antidepressants can't do. Well, I want to end on a, on a personal note. First of all, a couple of listeners have asked me to clarify the name of the film. Fantastic Fungi is the film that David is referring to, recommended. It's on Netflix. And the uh, psychedelicstoday.com. You can also get more information. Erowid, E-R-O-W-I-D as well as uh, MAPS, M-A-P-S, those organizations in, in the space. David, to open up for a, for a moment, one of the reasons I wanted to do this show is that I have been dealing for years with PTSD listeners who have, regular listeners know that, and this is something I haven't tried, but I've heard wonderful things from others, and it's a bummer that I would have to go overseas or do something illegal in the States in order to try it. Uh, but I, I hope that by talking about this a little bit, people are exposed to different modalities. Ask your therapist about it, read about it, uh, and, 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 and look at the options that exist because it is, it is legal in a number of places close to the United States. There's a lot of studies out there about the therapeutic properties of psilocybin, uh, the psychoactive compound in hallucinogenic or magic mushrooms colloquially. David Drapkin, thank you so much for joining us and educating us on this topic. My pleasure, Doug. Thanks for having me. Real pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. David, I want to get you back to talk about you know, MDMA and LSD and others sometime in the future. It's uh, it really great to have you break this down for us. Thanks. Anytime. Yeah, you got it. I'm here whenever you need me. Take care, Doug. Good Thanks, day. everybody. And if your head explodes with too, I'll see you on the dark side.